So glad you guys are here at Parkway Fellowship this morning. My name is Adam Jumbler. I'm the campus pastor at Parkway Fellowship's North Campus. I want to welcome our North Campus watching this video stream. I miss you guys. Please behave yourself, and I'll see you all next week. I have loved this series talking about David. Oh, David is one of my absolute favorite people in the entire Bible. And also, the story of David and Goliath was one of my son William's favorite stories. This was his favorite book when he was about three years old. David and Goliath, we read this book every single night before he went to bed. If we didn't read the book, he wouldn't go to bed. Let me read y'all a paragraph from the last page. David took a stone from his bag and placed it in his sling. He slung the stone at Goliath. The stone hit Goliath in the forehead, and he fell to the ground. David had beaten Goliath with just a stone and a sling. Then Because David had no sword, he took the giant sword and cut off his head. It's that last sentence that my wife Robin and I were like, really? Like, this is our perfect, innocent, three-year-old, firstborn son who's never going to do anything wrong. And so we just omitted that sentence. We just didn't read it. We just skipped from one thing to the next. He's three, like he had no clue. Well, one weekend, Robin and I went on a trip. William went and stayed with her parents. So, of course, we sent the book because he's not going to sleep there if they don't read the book. Trip went great. Everything was fine. We get back home. Night, like, we go. We're reading William the story. We get to the deal. We skip our line. William says, you missed something. (laughs) Really? Like, what did we miss? David cut off Goliath's head. Excuse me? David, David cut his head off. William, how, how do you know about that? Papa told me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Joseph, right there. Like, that's where it says it in the book. Now, look, in Papa's defense, we did not tell him, like, hey, we do not, like, say this line. Like, we omit it. So we just said, read the book to William. He read the book to William. Now my three-year-old knows about cutting heads off. So, But honestly, all kids love that story. I mean, little beats big. Like, how can you not? Like, the little guy wins. And when you're a kid, everything is huge compared to you. This is like the anthem for children, David and Goliath. Like, even though we're grown up, let's just be honest, we still face giants. No matter how big we are, doesn't it feel like there's insurmountable odds around every corner at some seasons in life. We feel small when facing huge interest rate with our debt. We feel small when a layoff is a possibility, jobs in jeopardy, and our bank account savings is even smaller. We feel small when trying to heal or fix a relationship that we've been trying over and over again, and it feels nothing. No headway, still bitterness, 
and emptiness and loneliness. We feel small. We feel small when trying to face an addiction, whether it's an addiction that everybody knows about or maybe it's an addiction that nobody else knows and it's eating away at the inside. And we try and we try to beat that addiction and we just can't. We feel small. That's why we love the underdog. That's why we root for the underdog. In any situation, we find ourselves cheering for the underdog because when one underdog wins, it gives us hope that we can as well. We love a good underdog story. And there is no greater underdog story than David and Goliath. In this series, we've been talking about David as God's imperfect hero. And every step along the way, we look at the character of David and we think, this is no way near the perfect guy for this job. And I'll tell you, that could not be any more true than this story. Because you're going to see David's like the worst person capable in David versus Goliath. He's not even close to perfect. He is so imperfect. All right, since all of us pretty much know the story, I'm just going to kind of give you the quick Cliff Notes version to catch us all up. The entire story is found in 1 Samuel 17. If you, excuse me, if you haven't read it, you've got to go read it. It is a fantastic story filled with amazing details. Yes, like cutting off heads. So, the Israelites, God's people, are on one side of a valley. And the Philistines, the arch enemies of the Israelites are on the other side and they're about to engage in war. But instead of like both armies running out and hundreds and thousands of people being killed, one guy, Goliath from the Philistine army comes out and says, hey Israel, send one guy and let's fight. If I win and I kill your guy, you're our slaves. And if your guy kills me, then we'll be your slaves. Cool? Well, here's a catch. Goliath's huge. He's huge. Look, so that you can get a picture of the scene that we're about to talk about, I want you to close your eyes while I read the description of Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Close your eyes. You're a junior high-aged shepherd boy, and this is walking towards you. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and on his bronze and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. I'd open your eyes. That is a giant to a junior high-aged shepherd boy. And that whole like weavers being deal, like I'm not really big in the weaving industry, and so I had to look up what it was. And I'd be willing to bet at Parkway Fellowship, the vast majority of us are not really big into weaving either. Let me tell you this. The weaver's beam and Goliath's spear was about 20 to 26 feet long. That's longer than the stage at Katy Junior High, and it's longer than the stage right here at West Park. That is a huge spear. But David defeated him with a stone and a sling. Underdog wins and then cuts off his head. 
William will tell you all about it. How do we go from being underdog to champion? When we face our giants, no matter what that giant may be, how do we do that? How do we go from being an underdog in the face of a giant to being a champion? That's the aspect of the story that I want us to look at today. So if you haven't got your sermon notes out already, go ahead and get them out. And let's start with this question of how do I go from being an underdog to champion? Well, here's the first thing. First thing that David did that we've got to put into practice is become fully aware of what I'm fighting for. Become fully aware of what I'm fighting for. When you face a giant, you have to know what's truly at stake. What is really at stake in this battle when I face my giant? In 1 Samuel 17, let's look at 8 through 10. and We can get an idea of what's at stake in this battle. In verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of the Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Look, this is way more than just mano y mano. Two men fighting. I kill you, I win, y'all are our slaves. You kill me, well, we lose, and we're your slaves. No. History's at stake. What's at stake is that the nation of Israel, God's people, would cease to exist as they knew it. In one moment, the nation of Israel would go from being God's chosen people to being known as the slaves of the Philistines. Just like that. The word of God is at stake. Because in Genesis 15, we see, God, we see God making a promise to a guy named Abraham and says, I'm gonna make my people out of you and you will outnumber the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashores. Well, was that not true? Maybe not. Maybe we're just meant to be slaves. What was at stake? David's family and his lineage was at stake. We talked a couple weeks ago how David had already been crowned as the next king of Israel. If there was no kingdom of Israel, there would be no King David. David's family would go from being promised the palace to being slaves immediately. All of that is at stake. This is far more than just the Israelites against the Philistines, David against Goliath. When you face your giant, you have to know what you're fighting for. Let me give you some examples. Maybe your giant, what you're facing and what you're struggling is alcohol. I mean, maybe you're not an alcoholic, but you drink frequently. And often you find yourself having that like one drink too many. And you look back, I shouldn't have had that last one. But I mean, it's, is it that big of a deal? It's hard. You faced that giant before. You didn't win. You found yourself back into it. Is it, ah, you know what? It's really not that big of a deal. Well, you got to know what's at stake. Let me tell you what's at stake in this battle. According to the Food and Drug Administration, 57% of all children who grow up in a home with an alcoholic struggle with alcohol. And then get this, this one's scary. If you drink alcohol as a coping mechanism to deal with 
other issues and problems in your life. The FDA says over 75% of children growing up in that household, whether they're an alcoholic or not, gravitate to some sort of addictive substance as their primary method of coping mechanism. That is scary. That's what's at stake. Maybe the giant that you face right now is purity. Maybe it comes in the form of maybe your son or daughter is dating somebody and you know like, this has got disaster written all over it. Maybe you're dating. Maybe you're dating again and you're struggling with purity because the Bible says you can't have sex before marriage, but I mean, I'm an adult. Like, that's just kind of for kids. Like, is, does he really mean that? You're struggling. Maybe purity is something, an issue that you have with a computer, addiction that you have. In the grand scheme of things, is it that big of a deal? Oh, look what it says according to U.S. News and World Report. Just this past year, 110 million Americans have a sexually transmitted disease. And 20% of all girls in high school right now will graduate with an STD. Let that sink in for a second. 20% of all of the girls that are in high school right now will graduate with an STD. It is not just the homecoming date, boyfriend, girlfriend issue that you're facing. That is not your biggest struggle. You have got to know what you're fighting for when you face giants. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you've told yourself, look, we just can't make this thing work. It would be better if we get divorced. You know what? We can still be friends. We'll still be involved. But like, we're way better friends than we are husband and wife. This is a good thing. According to the most recent U.S. Department of Health Census, 85% of all children who show behavior disorders are from an absent parent home. 75% of all adolescent patients in a chemical abuse center come from an absent parent household, and 85% of all individuals currently in youth detention centers from an absent parent household. That's what's at stake. Do I need to keep going? Look, giants are worth fighting because what's at stake is normally bigger than what you can imagine. Now look, let me give you this. I'm not promising you you're gonna win. I'm not promising you victory every time you face a giant. But here's what I'm promising you. You will never win if you don't fight. You will never win if you don't face and fight your giant. You've got to know what is at stake. You've got to become fully aware of what you're fighting for. David knew it. David knew it. But there's a second thing that David did that helped him go from underdog to champion. Here it is. Number two is stop being paralyzed by fear. Stop being paralyzed by fear. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I want you to underline dismayed and terrified for me. This routine of Goliath coming out and yelling at the nation of Israel had been going on for over a month. Over a month. Every day, Goliath would walk out from the Philistine camp. He would challenge the nation of Israel. He would defy God and then wait. And every day, nothing. So he would go back. The very next day, the same thing. 
for over a month. You see, Saul and the nation of Israel were so dismayed and they were so terrified, they were doing nothing. Nothing. When we read the story, we find out there was no plan B. They were not working behind the scenes trying to come up with another strategy. They were not training up a soldier to face Goliath. Nothing. Their plan was, well, we're still here. He hasn't killed us yet. Let's just keep riding this out. Nothing. David. David shows up. See, David hadn't been there the whole time. David, remember, he was a shepherd boy. He was taking care of his father's sheep. His dad says, hey, David, I want you to go to the battlefield. Check on your brothers and bring them some food. So David rolls up, and he kind of sees this whole scene rolling out. Look what happens in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David walks in, and he's like, for real? Is this going down? And then he realizes that Saul has promised a massive cash reward to whoever kills Goliath. On top of that, he's promised that person, your family will never have to pay taxes ever, ever again. And on top of that, Saul said, I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. And David's like, what? Like, I, I got this. I've totally got this fight. You know what we don't see? We don't see David having a behind-the-scenes moment with God where God says, hey, David, if you fight this guy, I promise you you're going to win. It's not there. Was David scared? Yeah, he was probably a little bit scared. But not to the point of the rest of the nation of Israel. They were so terrified and dismayed, nothing. He says, hey, guys, don't lose heart. I got heart. And I'm about to get me a smoking hot wife. I'll be right back. Look, you can begin, you can begin to see this little underdog shepherd boy begin to take on the role of champion. It's about this point, the soundtrack, dun, 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 dun. It's like, oh yeah, like you know what's about to happen. David's about to step in the battlefield, but he does one more thing. David does one more thing to fully go from underdog to champion. And it's a step that you have to take. You have to take when facing your giant. Here's number three. Speak expectantly to my biggest challenge. Speak expectantly to my biggest challenge. David walks out on the battlefield. He faces Goliath. And what does Goliath do? He talks trash to him. He talks trash. Just like all of your giants do to you on a continual basis. When you try to get your household finances in order to get out of debt, they just laugh at you. You'll never get ahead of me. I'm interest rate. Why are you trying this? Look, we're way too big for you. Every time you make that commitment that maybe you're going to fight a food disorder, that coping mechanism, whatever your giant may be, every time you go to pick up that phone call to call your family member that you haven't talked to that's been so destructive in your life, A giant talks to you and you say, why? You're going to lose this time just like you lost last time. You're not good enough. You're going to lose. You are way too small. I'm a giant and I'm way too big. Goliath does the exact same thing. David walks out. Goliath starts to talk trash. But look what David says back to Goliath. We see it 
in verses 45 through 46. David says to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. I want you to underline cut off your head for me. <laughs> you this very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. So bring it, chump. I added that little chump part in there in the end. It just seems too nice to end that way. I want you to notice something. What does David have with him? A stone and a sling. He doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have a knife. He doesn't have fingernail clippers. See, David looks at the giant and his plan the whole time is I'm gonna kill you I'm going to pick up your sword, and I'm going to cut off your head. That was his plan. He called his shot. So let me ask you something. When you face your giant, do you speak expecting to win? When you pray, do you pray as if victory is already a given? Or do you pray as if, I might win, I might not. I really don't know. Probably not, but that's okay. I'm supposed to pray. Look, when Robin and I were first married, we found ourselves in $20,000 worth of debt. Look, that was a giant because my salary wasn't even $20,000. When we prayed and when we fought this giant, we were not like God. Um, like we really would love some blessings and we'd love some help um, to get out of debt. But God, if it's your desire for us to be in debt for the rest of our lives and for interest rate to rule over us, like we understand we got ourselves into this mess. So like we accept this. No, no. Every time we went to get that money out of our wallet, we said, no, we're not because we're already been victorious. Every time we prayed, we said, God, your word says that if we get our household finances in order and we tithe and we give to you our little bit, you're gonna open the floodgates of heaven. So God, here is our measly tithe, flood. That's what we said. When my dad was diagnosed with brain cancer, I wasn't like, oh man, the statistics are horrible. Dad, I'm gonna pray, but likelihood is, this is probably what's gonna kill you. I wasn't like, God, please, would you heal him? God, if you don't, I understand. But it'd really be great if you did. No! I said, God, your word says that by you and your death on the cross, we are healed. So I told that cancer to get out of my dad's body. I made plans for it if to be gone. Now let me tell you this. We got completely out of debt, but my, my dad was not healed on this side of heaven of brain cancer. I'm telling you now, just because you face a giant doesn't mean you're always going to win. But you will never win if you don't step onto that battlefield and fight. You speak expectantly to your giant as if you know you're going to win because you have Christ. Look, if you don't have Christ, if you're not a Christ follower, if you haven't put your hope, faith, and trust in Christ, I got to be honest with you, I don't know how you get hope. I have no idea where you find the hope to even face giants and challenges in your life. And if that's you this morning, I'd love for you to become a Christ follower. There's a sample prayer at the bottom of your sermon notes. It starts with saying, God, would you save me from all the mistakes I've ever done in my life? Would you forgive me of them and would you wash me clean? And God, because of that, I can now have a relationship with you and God, I'm so thankful. You are my Lord and I will follow you from this day forward where you say I will go. 
It's an amazing, small little prayer that will change your life. And look, I love the image of a Christ follower. I try to use the phrase absolutely as much as I possibly can because the imagery that comes with a Christ follower is that you are here, you are following Christ, and so when you stand to face your giants, look, Christ is in between you. He's there, you're just following him. Because the one that goes before you Jesus Christ has already been victorious. The one that goes before you has already conquered sin and death. The one that goes before you when you face your giants says, do not fear. Do not fear this world. I've already overcome it. The one that goes before you says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The one that goes before you It said, I have been victorious, and so can you. So know what's at stake. Stop being paralyzed by fear and speak expectantly because you are a Christ follower. And if you're ready to go from underdog to champion, then today is going to be the day for you. I want everyone right now to take out your connection card, and let's take some next steps this morning. Maybe for you, it's this first one. Commit to go to battle against my biggest challenge. Then I put a line right there for you to write it down. Look, maybe for you, it's just saying, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. This is it. Out of all the challenges in my life, this is the biggest one. Write it down. Declare war on it. Go to battle. How about this next one? Write down what I'm fighting for when facing my giant. This week, I want you to take some time, sit down, with a piece of paper, and I want you to ponder what is at stake when you face your giant, when you face your biggest challenge. What's really at stake? Think about it for a long time. Let it sit in. Let it think about how it's going to affect the relationships of your family. Let it think about how it's going to affect possibly other generations to come. I want you to think about what's at stake. Or this third one. Stop being paralyzed by fear by taking one action step toward defeating my giant. Maybe you know what your giant is. You're just so scared you're doing nothing. Like whatever that may be for you, take one step. Commit to take that one step this week. Or this fourth one. Commit to not lose heart and continue to fight no matter how long it may take. Look, the Israelites were out on that battlefield for over a month. Some of you have been facing a giant in your life for years. Just like David says in verse 32, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Stay committed. It may take a little bit longer. It may take a little bit longer. Do not give up. If you give up, there's no way you'll ever beat it. I promise you that. Or this next one. Commit to pray and speak speak like I am expecting to overcome the greatest challenge in my life. Look, when you pray, I want you to pray as if victory is already yours. When you go to face whatever struggle that is, I want you to act as if you've already won. Well, I'm telling you, it'll change your attitude, it'll bring hope, it'll bring joy into something that has been a dark cloud in your life for possibly a very long time. Or this last one, become a Christ follower today for the first time in my life. Look, if that's you that I was talking about just a little bit ago, I'd love for you to become a Christ follower this morning. Look, that sample prayer at the bottom of your sermon notes, I'm gonna give you some time in just a moment or so for you to pray that prayer 
And if that's you, congratulations. You just became a Christ follower, and the one that goes before you is victorious. But right now, I'm going to give all of us some time to pray silently to ourselves. And I want you to pray and ask God which next steps he would have you take. And then I want you to pray for the strength to follow through with these, because all of these next steps deal with facing a giant. So all across the room, let's go ahead and bow our heads, and let's pray to ourselves. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much for the victory that your imperfect hero had on that day on that battlefield when facing Goliath. Thank you so much for the life of David. Thank you for the example. God, for the truths in your word of how we can go from underdog to champion when we face our giants, when we face challenges, when we face mountains in our life, when the odds seem insurmountable to us, Lord, you are victorious. So God, I thank you that you go before us. I thank you that you have already conquered, you have already won this world, you have conquered sin, and you have conquered death. And Lord, no matter how big our challenges might be, they pale in comparison to the cross. So Lord, we thank you. God, that victory is yours. God, we seek you and we give you all of the praise and glory for what you have done and for what you are going to continue to do. Thank you. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen.